All right, welcome everyone to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. On the show with me today, we have a very special guest, uh, Doug Sands from Anywhere Hypnosis. Doug is a consulting hypnotist who works with clients all over the globe. His techniques are tailor-made to use online or via phone. He built Anywhere Hypnosis for two kinds of people, those who love to travel and those who love the convenience of hypnosis wherever they want it. Ready to make that change that you've come here to make? Coming here is the first step. Take the next one today and reach out because you deserve the life you've been wishing for or that you've been waiting for. Uh, Doug, welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So tell me, what was your uh, your first introduction to hypnosis? Where did you first uh, hear about it or did you try it yourself? How did you kind of break into this whole world? It definitely wasn't something that was always on my radar. I grew up in a, in a pretty rural area. And so that was that was way off in right field or left field or something. And it came down to meditation. I was searching for something to deal with my own mental health. I was dealing with anxiety and depression at that point. And I discovered meditation. And that was the first tool that I actually used to calm myself and to, to realize that I could control my own emotions to a certain extent. And it was by studying the brainwave patterns and the science behind meditation, trying to figure out what was going on here, that I stumbled across hypnosis. And when I learned that it was more than just a stage show gimmick, that there's actually over a century of research behind this stuff, I was, I was blown away. And so I started doing some self-hypnosis techniques, just learning some of the basics. And then I got certified, and now it's what I do full-time. Tell me about, let's talk about, because that's, that's in uh, my wheelhouse there, the, the brainwaves, as far as with meditation, and definitely brainwave changes going on with hypnosis too. So tell me about, um, for each, uh, what, what is going on in the brain uh, and is it different meditation versus hypnosis? It depends. There's a very strong link between the two of them. I like to say that it's the same mental muscle doing different things. So a brief rundown, uh, what we're, you know, our normal everyday waking state, that's where we're at beta frequency. And when you're in hypnosis, you are actually dropping down the scale, going from alpha to theta, um, hovering just above that delta state. Um, that's why it kind of looks like people are asleep, but, um, when a person is in hypnosis, they are aware the entire time. Now, the link between meditation and that is that in solo meditation, your brain is speeding up, but in um, guided meditation, that's that weird gray area between the two of them. Some guided meditations will get people all the way down to that theta state. They will slow people's brain waves down, and most times it'll go to the, that alpha frequency, but oftentimes they will get people to that theta frequency, often using techniques that are taken from hypnosis, whether they do this intentionally or whether it's just part of the, uh, the standards of practice nowadays. It's, uh, I've definitely seen some crossover between these two platforms. Okay. And what, uh, what happens, can you break down kind of what happens in each of these different uh, brainwave stages? Absolutely. So when you're in alpha state, a light state or light trance, that's where we're at when we are in uh, when we're enjoying a really good book or getting lost in a TV show or a uh, a movie. It's also where we're at when we're you know driving a car and we zone out for a moment. We don't crash the car. Our minds are operating it you know to keep us safe at that time, but we weren't really there consciously present. And so, theta is really just that on a whole new level. 
you are still there. You're still awake and um, alert to the entire process. You are hearing what the hypnotist says, but you are activating two different things in your mind. The first is that you are turning on the more creative side of your mind. Um, and that helps when dealing with, um, so your mind, it speaks to you in images and feelings, and that helps us to speak to it in a way that it understands. And the second part of that in the theta is that you are taking the critical faculty, that part of your mind that filters information to see if this is real or not, or if I'm gonna believe it, that is a little more permissible. It's not completely offline, but it allows some suggestions that benefit that person to get past into that unconscious part where we store our memories and our habits. Okay, and is that something that it sounds like hypnosis definitely kind of takes advantage uh, or, or uh, of that of that ability to sort of reprogram those sort of maybe unconscious or subconscious beliefs? Is that a, a accurate way of looking at it? Absolutely. What hypnosis does, at least therapeutic and change hypnosis, is we get people to that theta state and then we simply use tools from like neuroscience and psychology and NLP. Um, the hypnosis is just the, is just smoothing the path essentially to using these tools that you can use in a waking state. It's just more effective in hypnosis. Okay. And so tell me about with your, with your experience uh, doing hypnosis with, with clients, um, does it change a lot uh, like person to person as far as, uh, and, and how do you approach kind of, uh, figuring out how to, uh, or which suggestions maybe to give people or, or is it more of directing people to kind of find the answers within themselves? Because I've had a couple of hypnotists, uh, a hypnotherapist previously on the show who kind of, from, from, uh, my understanding, they were kind of explaining that there's a popular kind of misconception that it's the hypnotist kind of delivering these, you know, secretive, you know, suggestions. Whereas what, there's, what they told me was that they really are kind of asking people to kind of, they're kind of finding the answers within themselves. Absolutely. So the old style of hypnosis, traditional hypnosis, was that model where you just told a person to change. And that's called direct suggestion in hypnosis. And that's still pretty effective, like for, especially when people ask for it or they imply like that's what they believe hypnosis is. Hypnosis, when you're working it with change, you want to meet a person where they're at. If a person has certain ideas about what hypnosis is, as long as they're not completely out of left field, you can work with those because that's their model of the world. When you work with a person's model of the world and use those suggestions, um, you can get some powerful results because that's what they're expecting. But the other side of that, as you were mentioning, uh, going inside to find yourself, Hypnosis, especially in the last 50 years or so, it's been expanding into this, this model where you are interacting with the client rather than just telling the client what to do. And so it's all about giving the client choice about, whether, about how they want to change and what that change means for them. It's a more integrated model of, of therapy and of change work. And have you found, do you, do you employ both models or is it more so uh, one versus the other? I definitely employ both. Oftentimes within uh, a single session when working with someone, I think that using both tools, it allows us to be more effective because we're hitting all the bases. And so typically I will start out the session with that more uh, 
inclusive approach where we are giving the person choices. And then somewhere in the middle of the session when we're really deep into hypnosis, I will throw in some suggestions. And those suggestions are typically crafted with the client beforehand so that I know that they're in that client's own language. Their mind has already kind of agreed to these before we've given them. And so they're much more likely to, to land and be effective. So walk me through, like if I was to come to you um, and say, and you know, wanted to do uh, you know, hypnosis with you, what, what, what's the whole process as far as, can you walk me through like what happens when, when a client walks in the door yeah, a typical session for me, the first 10 to 15 minutes of meeting a new client, I'm always breaking down those myths and misconceptions that person walks in with. You know, like, is hypnosis mind control? Or are you going to make me bark like a dog or something? Breaking those down. And then the next step is to define what they want. Uh, oftentimes people come in and they know what they don't want. They, they don't want to feel anxious or they don't want to feel stressed anymore. And that's great. But I... If you're going away from something, you've got to be moving towards something. I give the metaphor of like a ship. If you're leaving an island, you can go in 360 degrees in any direction, but that's not going to get you to your end destination any faster, unless, you know, by luck. So that next 10 to 15 minutes, we are establishing exactly what it is they're aiming for. And then we go into the actual hypnosis. We go into the induction, and that's typically 10 to 15 minutes where we're bringing people into that theta state using language patterns, using body motion things like uh, kinesthetic arm drops and things like that uh, to just help slow that person's brainwaves down to that theta state that they've already probably experienced before. And then the bulk of the session is where we are using those tools from psychology, like visualization and tools from neuroscience and NLP to make that change happen. And then the middle, as I mentioned, I might give some direct suggestion. And then the very end of that middle section, I want to make sure the, the changes are actually installed. A lot of hypnotists, they will um, give these suggestions, but they will not actually cement them in and uh, tell the, they'll essentially give the brain, the, the person's brain, the tools to use them. But they don't have the instructions on how to use them. And so we give them the instructions and then we bring them back out, basically reversing the induction. And then we've got about you know 10 minutes left. Oftentimes I am bringing or putting people back into a secondary hypnosis session to future pace them, to look at how that change is going to last into different events in the future, to make sure that it's not just they're feeling good in the moment, that that change has actually happened. And that's the bulk of, or I should say, the outline of a typical first session. Okay. And it reminds me of something uh, talked about in a meditation, a neuroscience of meditation uh, book that I'm forgetting the name of, but basically talking about like state changes versus trait changes and how, you know, meditating one time, you know, might slightly, you know, change your state, but it's not going to change traits, you know, traits, trait changes being something that takes you know, a lot of repetition and practice. And it kind of sounds like what you're talking about there with, with hypnosis, um, being able to, the goal kind of being able or for the client to be able to, to take that, whatever was sort of gained or, or learned in a hypnosis session and actually be able to apply that in life. Absolutely. And to map it across to different parts of their life. I know a lot of hypnotists who will say they can fix a problem in a single session, no matter what the problem is. 
And that's, that's, that's great. Like you can do some powerful changes in a single session, but to make sure that change has actually uh, effectively changed their life and that it has mapped across to different areas of their life that they might want it to, um, I typically recommend like three to five sessions. And so I'm finding, as you said, like that first session, sometimes people, I should say most of the times people walk out, but sometimes, um, you know, they're feeling great and it's just in that moment. And then after they go home, uh, they're noticing that, you know, this isn't quite as perfect as I thought it was. Like we've made some big changes, but there's still more to work on. And so, uh, it's definitely about making that change more so than just for that day. Awesome. Tell me about uh, like what, what have been some of like, can you give me like sort of an anecdotal story of a real powerful change that, that a client has experienced in, in working with you? Absolutely. And working with sensitive information, I am bound by HIPAA law. So all information is changed, but I often give the, uh, the story of this, CEO that I was working with out of California. Uh, let's call him Bill or something. Bill was a mountain biker. He had been so most of his life and he loved the thrill of it. And he came to me because he was having fear of getting back on the bike. He had gone over the handlebars. He'd hit a rock and had an accident. And it was, it was a phobic level at that point because he would start to shake when he like touched the handlebars. And so we went into hypnosis and it was very clear from the moment we really dived into it that there was something beyond this over the handlebars experience. And so he, Bill and I went back to an earlier memory that he actually covered up. His mind was trying to protect him by just forgetting about this thing entirely. But it was a moment in his early childhood where he was riding a bike for one of the first times and his training wheel fell off. And he had that moment of terror of tipping over, having no control and falling on the ground. And as we worked with that memory, we were able to remove all of the coping mechanisms that had his brain had naturally built up onto that. And when we came out of hypnosis, I should say when he came out of hypnosis, he, he noticed the changes immediately. He noticed that he was no longer feeling that anxious uh, thing that was starting to map across to other parts of his life. But he called me up a few weeks later and said that he was experiencing new confidence, not only on the bike, but also in his business. And he called me up a few months after that and said that um, he had started a blog that he'd been dreaming about for three years. And so it's always amazing to me just what changes when we do one little tweak, especially when we're working with memory or changing a habit that's really foundational to a person's life. We never know what coping mechanisms are built on top of that. And when you change that foundation, everything changes. That's a really interesting story because, you know, what you mentioned as far as like the, the shaking, uh, kind of a, a, a very quick, uh, what, what a lot of people would sort of think of as sort of just an automatic like bodily response, but actually something generated by the mind. How, uh, like what were some of the, the underlying uh, maybe thought patterns or belief systems that were causing and that anxiety and then how are you able to sort of rewrite those in bill's case he that fear had actually been driving motivation in his life and he didn't realize it because the mind had blocked out that memory 
but he was challenging himself by building a business and by constantly getting back on this bike that his mind was still kind of afraid of. And that moment was that moment his brain made the decision that, you know, your initial memory was right. Like this is a dangerous thing. You should not be doing this. And so the brain at that, his brain at that point was convinced that this was something terrible for him, that this was literally going to kill him. And so it was doing everything that it could to stop that. In his case, it was shaking physical tremors in his body. And um, it was mapping across into other areas of his life and like his business. And uh, that's initially what drove him to come to work with me. I think what's so cool about the brain and its coping mechanisms is that it is always doing what it believes is best for us. In Bill's case, his brain thought that giving him those shakes and giving him that intense fear, not only on the bike, but in his business, it was the best way because it was the only tool it had at that time. And so what we did in Bill's case, we essentially gave him new tools and new resources that he could use to get the message across uh, whenever there was a dangerous situation on the mountain bike or in business, whatever it is. We gave him new tools that were more effective and more ecological for his mental well-being. Awesome. Talk to me. I, I want to uh, switch gears a little bit and uh, talk about, you know, it, I mentioned uh, in, in the introduction that uh, so you you do um, your techniques are tailor-made to use online or via phone. Tell me about uh, is there any difference that you found any major difference in terms of working with client face-to-face uh, -face, um, like actually in person versus over the phone or zoom and did you transition to that like when uh, COVID hit so there definitely is a difference when working with a person you know in in the room you can see so many more uh, subtle cues in their body language uh, when I was first starting out in in online hypnosis I was having trouble because you know I, someone would be in the camera frame when we were having our pre-talk, our conversation, and then they'd lie back and I couldn't see anything. And I was just basically talking to an empty screen. But um, I have actually found that though in the beginning it was a challenge to get started in the online space, I found that the changes I am able to get are actually much more effective because hypnosis, it's, it's all about trust. I mean, you're walking into a stranger's office, I guess, and you are closing your eyes, you, you know, you've never met this person and they're going to give you some suggestions that supposedly can change your brain. That, that's, that's a level of trust that you've got to build with each client that walks in that door. And when a person is in their own comfortable setting, when they're in their bedroom or their living room, they are already halfway there. They are already comfortable and they're already ready to experience that change. Now, personally, I actually started it um, from the very beginning going online. There was this negative belief in, uh, in hypnosis in the field that you couldn't really hypnotize people online or that it wasn't as effective as in-person hypnosis. And there were some other people challenging that as well. And I built it that way so that I could travel and live the life I wanted. But when COVID hit, I was actually in a very uh, beneficial, I had that foundation laid so it was a very beneficial frame to use that um, to use that leverage while everyone else was catching up i was able to kind of fill the gap when everyone had to go online and now we're seeing the big names in, in hypnosis they are also going full-time online because they're seeing 
not only can they get powerful results online, but they can work with so many different people around the globe on very specific issues. Awesome. Um, talk to me about uh, what, what issues you think are kind of the most effective in terms of uh, uh, being able to be uh, treated or worked on um, with hypnosis? Yeah, the issues are kind of surprising because most people know it, hypnosis for smoking cessation. And that's actually not one of its most effective uses because the person who typically signs up for the session, uh, they're in a state ready to change, but by the time two or three weeks pass and the actual session happens, they're like, ah, I, I might quit this and I already paid for it, I'll just show up and see what happens. They're not committed to that change anymore. But what is effective for hypnosis, extremely effective, is pain relief, especially chronic pain relief, whether it's fibromyalgia or other issues, uh, because pain is a signal. And when you have chronic pain that constantly um, comes up again, whether it's like an old knee injury or a back injury or something, your brain has already got the message. Your brain is just receiving redundant signals now from your body, and it's actually blocking your body from receiving new pain signals that might tell of a new injury coming up. And so we're basically negotiating with the brain and saying like, to, to keep yourself safe from new injury, we need you to turn down this redundant signal. And over time, I believe this has been studied for about a century or so, uh, pain relief is extremely common in, um, in the hypnosis field. I know uh, there was a hypnotist out of India who actually performed surgeries on, um, on soldiers and civilians and had a better success survival rate than the ether and the other anesthetics that they were using at the time. Other things that are extremely powerful or effective in hypnosis are things like motivation, confidence, uh, removing limiting beliefs about yourself and um, the world around you. Things like anxiety relief, that's a really big one in hypnosis. Um, and also we can work with some physical issues as well. Things like irritable bowel syndrome or skin conditions. And I'm actually working with a couple of cancer groups around the US to bring hypnosis into that setting to work with nausea related to chemotherapy and uh, improving habits for a faster recovery. Awesome. Um, in terms of with, with uh, dealing with pain, so that's, that's another interesting one that it reminds me of, of the story you're talking about. Uh, the anecdotal story with the with the businessman as far as being able to sort of change those uh, those sort of uh, I don't know uh, automatic or sort of seemingly bodily generated responses, but they're actually being uh, generated by the brain. So that's super fascinating. Um, what uh, as far as like with with um, the pain, you're saying basically that. Uh, you know, the pain signal may have originally been there to actually serve, you know, a, a protective mechanism alerting the body that there's some problem. But then once the problem is actually dealt with, that signal is kind of still stuck, uh, if you will, and is kind of, it's not, uh, not doing anything. It's not alerting the body to anything that's really wrong. It's just kind of continuing its loop. Is that... Can I, am I understanding it correctly? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, perfect, that's a perfect way to describe it. I often give the metaphor of like TV static. 
if you turn on a TV and your volume is set to five and there's just the TV static running in the background, uh, something, something as quiet as, um, I don't know, a glass breaking or something that I guess that's a bad example of quiet, but, uh, to overcome that level five volume, you're going to have to have something at a level six. And so we don't want to have to have a level six of pain uh, to have that damage to our body to notice that something is wrong. Like if we're having a hand on our stove and it's burning us to that level six pain level, we want to be able to notice that when it's a level one or a level 0.5 or something. And so what we're doing in that, we are essentially just turning down the volume on that static. Uh, most times we get it all the way down to zero. Sometimes the body's like, I want to hold on to a little bit of this just to make sure that they don't injure themselves again. Uh, we bring it down to like a level one or something so that they can notice that other sound in the background, that other experience that might be a signal something else is wrong. Awesome. Talk to me about with just your own experience uh, doing hypnosis, um, doing hypnosis on other people. Uh, what, what have you found as far as like, from when you first started to where you've gotten today, what what uh, skills or uh, yeah, what kind of skill set have you needed to to cultivate to to become really good at what you do? Mm. First and foremost, a hypnotist has to have confidence, as with anything. But um, hypnosis is still a very misunderstood field by the by the general public. And if a hypnotist comes into that session, uh, and they're not really confident and fully owning those techniques that they work with, that person is going to pick up on that and they're not going to believe it. Either they're, you know, either the changes are not going to be effective or they, they might not come back for that second session. The second thing that I've really had to develop is that, that, that bedside manner, that, um, that caring connection with a fellow human being working with an issue in a way, um, in a way you are performing therapy, like talk therapy. Uh, I personally call myself a consulting hypnotist because to call yourself a hypnotherapist, you have to be a licensed therapist. But uh, there is that method of um, connecting on that, that talk level. And so the third thing I really had to develop was uh, just the, the sheer belief that I could do it. The sheer belief that even though I am uh, young or just starting out this business that I can actually get people results. And I actually had someone come in about a month ago and they were like in their fifties. And when they saw how young I was compared to him, he immediately said, how on earth can you, how on earth can you having what experience you've got in your life? How can you help me make this big change? And I looked him in the eye and I said, I can help you make that change because I am good at what I do. And having that confidence and not only that, but having the experience to back it up, that made the change that we made that day so much more effective. What happens if the clients that you're working with do not have that same level of self-confidence? And I ask that question because, you know, you're asking people or, or you're working with people to try to make these, these kind of uh, changes in their core beliefs and, and thoughts. What if people, uh, I assume people probably come to you sometimes with, these long-standing issues and maybe they don't have complete confidence that you know hypnosis is going to work or that they're going to be ac actually able to to change the way that their brain functions how do you how do you uh deal with that is that like a common roadblock that you run into it is a common roadblock block because 
people have high expectations of hypnosis when they come in to see a hypnotist. They think it's going to be 100% effective and it's going to be you know 20 minutes and it's gonna be fixed forever. And hypnosis, just like anything, is not 100% effective for 100% of the people. When a person comes in and they have those doubts about just how effective it will be in their case, I typically break down the issue into its component parts. If they're coming in to see me for anxiety relief, I break it down into um, component steps that we can tackle. And like that first step, I know for sure like we can get some results. We can move that needle. I've found that when people come in and they've never experienced hypnosis before, oftentimes just having that first session and experiencing it and seeing how relaxing it is for one, but for two, the results that come out of it, that is enough to get them over that hump and then they are um, fully committed in the process. Okay, awesome. Um, anything else, Doug, that, uh, that we haven't covered related to hypnosis that you think is important for, for listeners who, who are trying to understand or are interested in the field? Uh, anything that we haven't covered? Yeah, I would just say that hypno hypnosis has a huge history behind it. I mean, it's been, all, it's been with our society all the way back to the ancient Greeks. That's actually where the name hypnosis comes from, from the Greek god of sleep, hypnos. Uh, but it's been studied since the, uh, the late 1800s. I believe the British Medical Association approved it as a treatment modality all the way back in 1892. It's been approved by so many other organizations in the medical community. And even though here in the States, it's still catching up as a legitimate uh, treatment modality, over in places like Europe, it is, um, it is such an accepted form of practice that there are hypnotists who serve full-time on hospital boards and who work uh, in the same hallways as doctors and nurses and uh, pharmacists. And so I really encourage anyone who's curious about hypnosis for an issue to realize that there is so much more research than our, uh, our society typically gives us about this modality. Are there any uh, books that you recommend for people wanting to learn more about hypnosis or any, any other like reading material uh, that, that you'd recommend people check out? Oh, the books that I know are mostly for people trying to learn hypnosis. I guess I don't know many books about, um, for the layman, for hypnosis. There are a bunch of podcasts, though, about hypnosis. Um, one being the Brain Software podcast by Mike Mandel, another being um, the Work Smart Hypnosis by Jason Lynette. And if you're curious about just what hypnosis is, that's a really great free resource to dip your toes in the water. Awesome. How about um, in terms of other kind of uh, ways of modifying the brain, uh, other tools or, or technologies, do you, uh, do you have much interest in like neurofeedback or transcranial stimulation? Do you dip your toes in any of that research or? I haven't yet, but <laughs> man, the the, the the field is wide open, uh, especially as a, as a hypnotist. I have, I've been given that freedom, I guess, to explore things that are a little bit outside of the general norm. Like for, like for a doctor, if, you, if he comes in and he's like, we're going to try this thing from Tai Chi or uh, acupressure today, uh, your patient's going to be like, what, what is that? But a hypnotist, like that's, that's accepted practice. And so um, as I dive deeper into this career, definitely I am exploring new science-based ways to help people change. Awesome. 
Well, Doug, I really enjoyed having you on the show today. If uh, people want to find out more about your work uh, or connect with you, where would you direct them? I'd direct them to my main website. That's anywherehypnosis.com and a great resource for anyone who wants to experience hypnosis for the first time. I've got what I call the hypnotic test drive on my website. Um, it's just a brief hypnosis experience that builds um, some powerful suggestions. As we talked about direct suggestion, they can find that at anywherehypnosis.com slash test drive. Awesome. And for those listeners who enjoyed the show today, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel or Roscoe's Wetsuit. And you can also find the audio versions of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else that audio podcasts are available. Uh, Doug, again, thank you so much for your time today and coming on the show. Really enjoyed having you on. Absolutely. Thank you again. Absolutely.